Barbie, Happy Bee and Dirty Pig. This is staying in. It, does does the things sound different in um, foreign climes? Then is that is that right? In you know, in altitude it would. At altitude, I suppose. Are you at altitude, Chris? Air's thinner. Uh, no, I'm I'm quite low actually. I am on the southern western tip of Portugal, basically the Portuguese version of Land's End. Right. <laughs> So our podcast has a continental flavour. It does, doesn't it? It certainly does. We've never done this before. Mm, mm, a little bit slightly spicier. Yeah. Um, I think I think the furthest. I think the only other time we've done. I think I've done it. I've been on the podcast um, from a hotel room in London. That's probably the most exotic mm. I've been. Yep. Okay. Nothing. I've never been in another country. Well, it's also quite handy here because of where we are in Portugal. There's no time difference. That's true. However, I will say there is a massive temperature difference. Well, how do, how do you... Just because we're both sitting here in T-shirts and you're in a vest, do not assume that we are not 35 degrees... Boiling. Boiling. I mean, it is boiling, but it's probably only like 19, 20, just a little bit muggy. But Yeah. We're just, we're just not built for it as both humans and houses... Just not built for it. Whereas, whereas out in sunnier climes, they've figured it out. They know what they're doing. How does it feel, Chris? Because we all went to Bavaria together. Yes. Most specifically, um, uh, we went to Munich. Uh, how and and then you got you. We all came back, and then you had what two, three days at home, and then you went on holiday again. Yes. Which is something I've never done. No, same. It, so how does that how does that feel yeah. like as a thing? It it feels great. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I was expecting. Yeah, I was no, going to say, what like, were you expecting from? What's it like to go on holiday all the time? What was I expecting? Actually, Sam, it's horrible. Oh, it's I wish hell. I just stayed. Oh, it's absolutely... The sunshine, the nice people, the lovely food, the clean air. Oh, I hate it. I think it's worth saying just for new listener, for any of you a new listener at all, that based on because of my job, the nature of my job, I can only take leave at a certain point in the year and it happens to be in yeah, one lump block. So um so I have to basically take so all you my, just jam it all in. Jam all my holidays in at this particular point really here. Um it's it's really interesting. It's quite bizarre um because um I haven't really had time to kind of fully digest what our Munich experience was like because it's a very different rhythm here. Like ours was just, ours was an adventure, I think it's fair to say. Ours was an adventure. Yes. It was everything I hoped it would be and more. Whereas this is, oh, this one is a lot more of a slower pace. It is literally just sitting in the sun and by water, um, essentially. Sure. Um, I drank more beer in Munich than I drank here. I've not really drunk much beer here, apart from their their Superbock, which is a big Portuguese beer, because I think I drank about 25 litres of beer, I was calculating, in our time away Really, in Bavaria. 25 uh, in five days? We were averaging five... roughly around four to five litres per day, I would say, of beer. Four to five litres. Each, each stein, each stein is about, is a litre, right? Correct. Yeah, each stein is a litre, yeah. And we were having... And the only place that served full litres was the Hofbrauhaus. Oh, the Hofbrauhaus. 
you know, you know, there, there's a really sad story with uh, uh, Richard Hammond where he talks about quite quite poignantly about a place on the side of a mountain that he went to oh, and visited yeah. in his uh, when he was he was laying in a coma in a coma. Mm. And he talks about walking to a place that he felt sort of like it was his spiritual home. I feel like if I ever end up in that situation, I'm definitely going to the Hofbrau House. Yeah, because <laughs> that, that, that's your that equivalent is, of Valhalla. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> I, what, a, what an incredible place. Like, th- like a beer hall, just a beer hall. The beer hall. But like steeped steeped in history and culture and full of nice people and umpa bands and like great food and like oh i think it was it was one of those locations where whenever i whenever i go on holiday my number one priority is to try and avoid tourist traps agreed like nothing infuriates me more when i go on holiday than feeling like i've been taken advantage of just because I'm visiting the country. Yeah. Like I remember once when I went to Italy and went to this one restaurant and ended up paying like something like 15 euro for the worst pizza I've ever had. I just felt like totally like... They got me. Ugh, like I just wanted a nice meal and I feel like I've just been totally utterly taken to town. Whereas Munich, strangely, like the when Chris and I were first walking around there when we first arrived... Like, you walk around and there's all these pubs with all these, like, tables and chairs and uh, umbrellas and waiters walking around in lederhosens. And it feels like everywhere's a tourist trap. Yep. Like it feels like these are places specifically built to capture tourists, soak them up and spit them out. However, eventually, like, as we ended up getting closer, like, Chris and I ended up going to one of these places. And what struck me is there's... You know, there's lots of German-speaking people drinking yeah. here, and there's lots of people who appear just local, like they know the people who are serving. And they were like chatting to them and you know shaking hands and hugging and whatever. And like, no, this isn't a. These aren't tourist traps. These are just how these are the culture. These are popular locations in the country you happen to be visiting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like yeah. and yeah, the Lederhosen's thing. Like when we got the tour a couple of days later, we found out that Lederhosen's is just like people just like wearing them. Yeah. And yeah, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of an attraction for, for tourists, but it's not like, I guess what would be the equivalent here? It's not like going to a restaurant in London and everyone wearing beefeater costumes <laughs> and thinking that's quote, quote, normal. Yeah. Like or bowler hats. Yeah. 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 In in Munich and in Germany, in Bavaria especially, like Lederhosen's is still like a massive part of that of that identity. It's like the kilt, I guess, in in Scotland. Like it's yeah. it's still considered part and parcel of of who they are. So much so that when we passed a few department stores, I think there were like pictures of men and women wearing Lederhosen's. And the Hofbrau House, the beer house owned by Hofbrau, was one of those occasions where I thought. I didn't really want to go at first because I thought it's just going to be a big tourist trap. Like, is it going to feel like genuine? And it was like the moment they throw literally throw down a litre of of beer and slide it towards you with gusto and confidence. And you just feel like, oh, this is just. They're not, there's, there's no one upselling you. 
There's no one. No. There's no one like. There's no one like. Is everything okay with your meal? Like, there's no like any like anything along those lines. It's just like, here's the beer. We know it's good. Drink it. Yeah, like, exactly. It's great. I think what got me is like the conviviality of it. Yeah. So by that I mean the fact that like the tables are so long. Pretty much every time we went, we always ended up sitting next to people we didn't know, mm-hmm. and. I really liked that about it because it meant that the first time we went, we were playing card games and the people next to us, they were playing card games too. I mean, we were playing <laughs> a game about getting your pigs dirty and they look... <laughs> Very different sort of card game. <laughs> and they looked like they were playing actually something quite serious and, and fun. Yeah. Um, but, and then the next time we went, we ended up speaking to um, a Danish couple who were sitting down next to us it's just like the whole place is designed to be sociable and yeah like you know you know like to put it into perspective you know again if you end up in a tourist trap like you know you might have somebody ever so slightly sniffy or whatever but you usually have somebody who's like trying to as you say kind of like rinse you for as much money as possible and be you know you know like cloyingly nice you know you know the difference between nice and like cloyingly nice but i think the the moment i realized no 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 this is not that is i asked the serving guy i was like oh what kind of beer is this and he looks at me like i was an idiot and went this is wickle beer and just walks off i was like yeah all right great cheers then <laughs> like and it was like it's like yeah of course it is like of course it's this how how would you and like i think that was really i don't know i i felt like it was almost like stepping back in time a little bit of like that. It You felt connected to like a, an unbroken culture of that happening. Of yeah. like that unbroken mm. culture of mm. hanging out, drinking beer, singing songs. Yeah, that kind of folk yeah. culture um, is within the DNA. And I love going to those places where you literally just say free beers and they give you free beers. You don't specify anything else. Yeah, And it's yeah. a bit like Belgium, you know, when you've you've got places that just, serve one type of beer, one one brand of beer, let's say, for example. And obviously there's different flavours within that, really. But it's just so lovely to walk in. Free beers, yep, cool. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Unless you specify yeah. specifically, they're just going to give you, you know, like the equivalent of their house wine, say, for example. Yeah. And that sound of the fixed steins hitting oh, the table yeah. and the sliding them across. And we spent a comfortable last few hours there, didn't we? Because we were trying to work out what to do on our last day and the weather was bad. And it just flew by. We just, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, Let's spend our gorgeous. last few hours in Germany here. I mean, I will say, we're making it out like it was a big, boozy, laddish uh, uh, trip. Like, oh, bants abroad. But we did some amazing stuff as well, didn't we? We um, like from a from a board game perspective, we went to go and see. We went to Nauschwanstein, is that how it's pronounced? Nauschwanstein? Yeah, Schweiz Nauschwanstein, Castle Nauschwanstein, which um, we've spoken about a game that is based on it beforehand between two castles of Mad King Ludwig, which we all know King Ludwig II is the doppelganger. Our, our friend, our colleague Dan, is the doppelganger of King Ludwig II. And we saw Dan's <laughs> face everywhere throughout Bavaria. Everywhere. It was amazing. Everywhere. And we'd always take a picture of it. Everywhere. Um, and he was basically, from what I ascertain, a quite... Um, polarizing leader who I think spent a lot yeah. of people's tax money on building these outlandish castles, and yeah. it is the kind of progenitor or archetype or prototype for the Disney castle. This imposing structure that is awesome in the literal sense, um, nestled within 
um, the Bavarian, the Southern Alps, essentially near a town of Fusen, which is where we stayed. Yeah. And it is like a picture perfect castle nestled amongst thick green forest. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, there's there's like a, a, a like a like a massive lake near there and like it's just absolutely gorgeous. Um so we went for a big walk around there, like literally hours and hours and hours of walking, which was great fun. And it was amazing. Like and again, like I thought Fusen was gonna be like, oh, you'd go to the castle and that was it, and the rest would just be like a really dreary, sleepy town. But like no, like like there was amazing places to eat in Fusen. Like so, like one of the best. I mean, we had such great food while we were there, and obviously the drink was all amazing. But like so many great meals there, um, really lovely people. My abiding memory of Fusen yeah. is definitely, which is about three or four days into this trip, which is only about five days long. But we've been in we've been in Germany together for about three or four days, mm. and we went to this <laughs> went for this place to eat in Fusen, which was absolutely incredible. And um, up to this point. We'd kind of just been muddling through with German as best as we could. We, you didn't really, nev- you never really had to interact with anyone. Mm. Uh, in well, we like to interact with people, but most people that we interacted with spoke English already, or the interactions that we were doing were quite minimal. But then we get to Fusen, we get to this place. Pete opens up the menu and goes, "Do you mind if I take this one, lads?" And then just. Fluent. <laughs> I wouldn't I say fluent. Say fluent. I so I, the I, way to describe you is university level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and I think that was the reason why Sam that they um, they we all shared a, a shot of limoncello with them. Do you remember at the end of the meal? Oh, yeah. and, and 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 Pete, your response was something along the lines of, "Well, you never asked." <laughs> Like it, like it was our fault. It was like that opening scene in The Hunt for Red October, you know, when they're all speaking Russian, the camera zooms in on the, their lips and they start speaking English. It was a reverse of that. Where... <laughs> yeah, so I, um, so I, ever since we knew we were going to go out there, I, um, so I actually picked up um, like an, some like learning audio books for like quick okay. learning of languages. And, um, and it was was it very specifically ordering Italian pizza in Germany? Uh, yeah, that's one? right. I think we should eat here, lads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I think we should. Um, I've got to get the most out of that. So, um, yeah. So basically, I downloaded, uh, and and I would I would absolutely recommend this to anybody because I was totally not on board with. Like I, I totally did not believe that this would work, but there is this um, this company called Earworms Learning, um, and they do a series of audiobooks called Rapid Language Name Volume. So I, I picked up Rapid German Volume One, um, and uh, Rapid German, all of them basically, because I also picked up Japanese because I was just kind of like, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. One, one in each ear. One in each ear. Um, and basically the idea is you fall asleep with them. And so you fall asleep listening to these things. And the first volume is basically entirely around things like I would like. So I would like, you know, food or drink or different kinds of food and drink, how many of them, a table, like all that sort of stuff. And really, 
that's like 95% of the interactions you're going to have when abroad, right? Like, yeah, I'd like a hospital. I'd like a hospital because I've fallen off my Segway. Um, like all of those <laughs> sorts of things. Um, but honestly, like, I, I, so I listened to it like every night for a week. Wow. Like when I was falling asleep and it just kind of went in. And yeah, so it was it was great, and um, I'm I was very flattered by our um, the person who was at the restaurant saying that uh, it was university level. I'm sure they were being very nice, um, but but the fact that I was able to like just about muddle through it in German was like really cool because I was like yeah. I genuinely felt like 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 I'd learned something like that was that was really it was, nice. It was incredibly impressive when you just like bang it out, switched it on, yeah. Can I, there's there's two things I want committed to audio possible. One is our Segway experience in Munich, and two is yes. Pete's mm. farewell t- farewell tour for his underwear and oh, socks. Oh yes. Oh, can you talk us through that, Pete? Please. All right. Well, let's deal with let's deal with the underwear and socks um, because I think this is the smartest stupid thing I've ever done. Is it? Well, you know what? It's it's definitely top five. <laughs> it's, it's it's on the top five. Um. Right, okay, so you might not know this about me, but um, I really put my pants through their places. Uh, so if there's a... a, if there's a <laughs> I don't know what that means. Well, no. like, stress test. A little bit of a stress test. So like, so basically, if I'm... if So I've got pairs of underwear, right, which are coming up on years old, right? Not great. Not a great position to be in, I, 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 I accept. That's normal. I don't understand. I don't yeah. know if that is normal, honestly. I, yeah, I don't know. Of course it's normal. Anyway. Hang on, hang on. Are we talking double figures? <laughs> Some of them, maybe. Um, point is, I wear them until they are getting to the point where, like, there's a hole in them. Right? They're sheer. And sometimes, well, yeah. sometimes beyond that. <laughs> what's beyond a hole well like a I bigger a bigger hole a bigger hole i mean count, countless physicists have tried to understand <laughs> theoretically <laughs> it is possible so i do this with my pants and my socks right so so there's a f- there, were, there were some pairs of pants underwear some underwear uh that had like that had like thumb-sized holes in them right uh, or uh, maybe thumb wasn't the right adjective. Probably shouldn't have said no. that. Anyway, let's just move on from that. Um, and and same with socks as well, right? So 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 some thumb sized socks as well, uh, holes okay. in socks. Um, so do, do you have one of those spaghetti spoons which can determine whether what the hole is too big or not? Big yeah, yet to get rid of it. Or it's like one of those things you get when you rent a car that they just hover over and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Time to yeah. Throw that out. Oh mate. Um, so what I decided is because I knew I wanted to pack light for this for this uh, for the for the trip, um, and that we were going to be moving around because we ended up in like what was it three hotels in the end? Three hotels, yeah, like three really lovely hotel rooms. Yeah, um, I knew we were going to. I wanted to pack light, and also I was probably going to bring home a couple of bits and pieces, right? Like a couple of souvenirs, sticker rock, that sort of thing. So I thought, well, I'm going to want to get rid of some things if I can. So here's the thing, and I think I'm going to try this next time uh, when I go on holiday if I have anything. You know, also holy uh, that needs getting rid of. What I've what I did is I wore the pants, and it was like a farewell tour for them, right? Yeah. So it was like, right, you're this is the last day you're getting worn ever. So you're going for a wander around, you know, Castle Nelschmanstein, and having a great time. And then the following day, bin, right? Yep. Then throw a little match into it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Say a little prayer. Same so same with the socks, same with the pants, right? So 
they were done. And what I did is I only came home with like one pair of pants, and it was the pair of pants I was wearing on the way on the flight home. But I, I like to think I like to think that you should have like you know how when people pick up T-shirts from bands that are on tour, it's got a name of all the locations on the back of it. <laughs> you should have had that on your pants. Pete's pant and sock tour. But I, yeah. I, I, I've I've been doing this. I've been doing this in Portugal. There are pants of mine in the bin here. I'm, I've right. taken a leaf out of the book of Wellington. What? Yeah. What are you all? What are you all doing with your pants? I have not thrown a pair of pants away in about four or five years. You need to double check like, the holes. You need to double check. Are there holes? There are involved? no holes. What are you doing? What? Well, like, Sam, a better question is: What pants are you buying, and how can I buy some? Because they, I, they it sounds like they're made of iron. Hey, Pete. It did bite you on the arse, though, because you were held up again, the curse of Peter Willington's travel. Yeah, because you had... Again, reign supreme. Yeah, yeah you had zero spares. Yeah. Because Living life the way the I edge. pack pants and socks is that I imagine that I'm going to poo myself every single day I'm away. Right. So I'm bringing... <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> every single day. Every single day. Sam, what are you, what are you thinking that you're going to do? On these, <laughs> who knows? I don't know how my body's going to acclimatize. So, You're, but Sam, let let's dig into this. Like you, sh- like like. I feel like why am I the one on the on the on trial here? Where you're the one walking around with five holes in your underwear, thinking it's normal. Yeah, it, but but then I get rid of them on holiday, and I get oh look oh an empty bag, amazing. But you're thinking to yourself oh oh what what's in your overnight bag? Well a pair of pants, and then my spare pair just in case for some reason I absolutely destroy them. I think Sam, the next time we go away with Pete, all he's going to pack is that that paper underwear people have when they get a spray tan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let's let's not be around the bush. The best time. Some of the best time that I had, without a shadow of a doubt, was doing a Segway tour around Munich. Yes, yeah, so you suggested this. I I did suggest this. Um, now, I've never been on a Segway. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, it's basically an auto-balancing two-wheeled personal vehicle. So think the Sinclair C5, uh, but uh, worse. And uh, to put it into perspective of how sort of safe sort of not they are um the fa- rather famously the creator of the segway drove off a cliff on a segway um oh, like uh, quadrophenia yeah a little bit um so you know so they're somewhat safe well i think they're safe to some degree uh but yeah and so if you and so basically you stand up on them and then you bounce around and then you go around these things, and you go up to I think it's was was it twenty kilometers an hour, something like that. They they cap, something like that. Cap yeah. Them yeah. He took. He, remember when we first started? It was just doing quite a bit. It was because we were. He had to take. The, he took the inhibitor off, didn't he? So we could go a little bit yeah. faster. But you, you just yeah. have to kind of lean. I was fine with the inhibitor being on, by the way. Because <laughs> you 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 sort of had a a bit of a um, well a little bit of a tumble, <laughs> but you also were a little bit apprehensive about the segue, weren't you? Well, I don't. I, I, I just. I think it was your segue, Sam, that was glitching. That was why. Yeah. I think. I think you got the jury's segue. out on whether on on that. I think it was more the fact that we had we were allotted fifteen minutes to acclimatise to Segway, mm. in which we did it in what ended up being the world's busiest courtyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had a doctor's surgery or something, or a dentist. So. 
Yeah, so it's like a dot next to a dot. So there's people entering and leaving all the time. Deliveries. There was a section we couldn't go at because they had a beef with the, with the shop <laughs> yeah, next to them. Oh, yeah, the DMZ, he called it. Yeah, the, tra- the training was literally just get on, move forward, move back, turn around, off you go. Great, let's go. And then it was like... Right. Here's, the, pede- here's here's roads with cars on. Yeah, and then it was like, here's the streets of Munich. <laughs> Off you go. And I was like, oh, dear. Oh, no. Um, so, um, I mean, I, I enjoy the Segway, and I feel like the Segway is an unusual vehicle where it definitely felt like something that was responding to confidence. Yeah. <laughs> And it kind yeah. of, it kind That's of strangely. Such a good, Sam, that is such a good description of what it's like to drive a Segway. Oh, it could smell any nervousness. It could smell fear. It could like the moment, any moment where I was like slightly unsure, the Segway was just like, no, get off, yeah. get off yeah. me, like. Oh, that's so but good. But any moment, any moment, I was like really confident and felt good. It's like, yes, here we go, we're together. It's like there was like this wonderful, like symbiotic. Um, yeah. Like you give yourself to the segue, the segue <laughs> treats you in kind. Yeah. And you just go zooming off and do do whatever you want. Uh, it, my confidence didn't help that I, I did fall off in the middle of a busy German mm. road and scrape my calf. Um, but. We got to see so much of that city, and um, that's it's twice I've done a tour on like a personal vehicle. I've done a, like a, a bike tour of Central Park and a bit of um, downtown New York, and again, that was a wonderful way of a wonderful way of seeing a city and engaging with it. Because mm. um, on a bus, you feel like there's something that separates you between what you're experiencing and you can't really get off and take it in. Um, And walking is just like the distances um, can be quite off-putting. But here it was, um, yeah, it was a delight. We, we we also did some geeky pilgrimages. We went to <gasps> Cosmos Store. We did. And and also, Funtainment, a shop that is three times the size of a typical gaming cool. shop where it had a particular... One room was for board games, another room was for miniatures, and there was a third one for video games. Mm. Memory serves me correct. I mean, when you say room, there well, were no, a shop, three a whole shop. separate shops yeah. Yeah. in a courtyard. Yeah. I remember, like, I'd... I'd heard about Funtainment before I went because obviously Germany is the the spiritual home of the board game. Yes, like not necessarily where it was invented, but the modern where I feel like modern board games originated from, and where board games as a pastime is probably more well established than it is in any other definitely European sure. culture, and. So for me, going out there was a was a big deal because I kind of wanted to make sure I was going to have the opportunity to soak up a lot of that. So I went to go and visit the Cosmos shop. Now, we've played a lot of games from Cosmos uh, on the podcast. So for me to have the opportunity to go and visit their shop in Munich, which also had a Vietnamese cafe mm. inside of it. Mm. Chris and I were wandering around that shop whilst this lovely Vietnamese chaps was making summer rolls. Um, 
<laughs> it was just bizarre. <laughs> um, that's where I picked up my copy of Drexel, Dirty Pig, which I'm sure we may talk about. Oh, my gosh. We need to talk about that game. That was the game, that was the game of the trip, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah. It was the game of the trip, Dirty Pig. Um, but we also went to a place called Funtainment, and I'd kind of done a bit of research about Funtainment before going, and the research pretty much boiled down to make sure you go in the courtyard. And when we got there, we didn't really understand what that meant. Yeah. We kind of walked into the shop, walked around. It was just full of Funko Pop toys and manga cartoons. And I kind of said to the guy, oh, we're here. We're looking for the board games. He want, He was like, oh, you want to go to the other shop? And we looked through a window into the courtyard, just saw this door opening out. And it was just like, you want to walk out the shop? Walk left, walk left, go into the courtyard, and you walk into this courtyard, and there they are, the three shops. One for board gaming, one for RPGs and miniatures, Gorgeous. and one for video Gorgeous. games. And it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Like I have never been in a board game shop uh, like that before. No. And why was it different? I think that the breadth and depth of what they had on offer to sell was just staggering Mm -hmm. sometimes i feel like in this country i was trying to explain to my wife like culturally what what is the difference between walking into a board game shop in england to walking into a board game shop in in uh in germany and we kind of (laughs) the best one of the best analogies i could think of is just like a board game shop is a bit like walking into like a waitrose or something where everything feels everything feels like it's been specifically put there to fulfill some sort of zeitgeist or it's been specifically put there because it's it, it, it's attributed to some sort of higher understanding of of what the hobby is okay. whereas funtainment just felt like walking into a co-op or a tesco's mm. where it's yeah. just like here is just everything this is just completely normal natural here is everything that you could get all displayed aisle upon aisle upon aisle of of board games board games board games it's up to you to navigate your way through it whereas if you go to and i'm not denigrating these shops at all something like traveling man because the board game market in this country isn't as broad and isn't as um uh, plentiful as it is in other places They've got to make money, and so therefore they've got to always make sure their stock rep- represents what the zeitgeist is, what the next big game is, or yeah. is going to make the money and is going to because otherwise it just it's just taking up yeah space. And it's interesting because like obviously sometimes we think when we go when we're shopping for board games abroad, we think oh I can only really choose the games that are language independent that I you know where it doesn't matter really, but in funtainment. They didn't just have an English shelf. They had a whole English section, yeah. which yep. I was incredibly impressed by, but also a little bit embarrassed by, to a degree, <laughs> really, because we don't do that in the no, UK yeah, at all. Yeah. And to have like an entire wing of this one shop devoted solely to games that are English yeah. was something yeah. I wasn't expecting, I must admit. So I was able to pick up but games I think, there. But I think that's not... But the thing is, I don't think that was something that caters to us. I think that's something that caters to how seriously they take board games, knowing that some games are only going to be available in English 
or only they're only going to be able to have access to in England. Yeah. Whenever I've been to like foreign climbs and gone into like video game stores, it's like there will be like English only versions, right? So like you go to Italy and you go to a video game store, there aren't many of them. Uh, you go in and Italian isn't really a language that gets um, translated into all that much these days. But there's still, you know, everything else, right? There's English and French and blah, 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 blah. And I yeah. think that that is just a, a product of, like, English is the dominant language. And therefore, there will simply be things that you are... You have to be able to access this language to be able to access this product. And I think that's the interesting thing. In in England, I don't think we would stock something. I don't. I don't think there are many board game stores that would stock something that was German only because that's the only way that you can get hold of it. Like I just don't think yeah. there are going to be no. that many things that would do that. Can we can we talk about Dirty Pigs, please? Let's talk about Dirty it. Dirty Pig. Because it's the it was the game that it was it was the it was the game of the trip. A game that so, I looked at it and went, mm, all right. I'm not reading that. Not reading that. And <laughs> uh but my God. My God. I only bought uh, four games whilst I was out there. Uh, I bought uh, an expansion for Bonanza to make it five, six players. That was in the airport. The airport board game shop was better than some board game shops I've been to in England. Yes. like I cannot believe that the airports had board game shops. The, the, the airport selection of Bonanza expansions was more comprehensive yeah. than anything <laughs> Um, anyway, so I bought uh, an expansion for Bonanza, which takes it to five or six players. Um, the other game I bought was a game called Gugong. I also bought a game called Triggs. But the other game that I bought was Drexau, or Dirty Pig, um, as we would translate it. And Dirty Pig sits for me in a small canon of games alongside... Uh, games like Gubs, mm. and this this kind of game was perfectly summed up for me when I took Gubs in to work once to play. And someone I was playing with at work described Gubs as a game that the more you know what you're doing, the less good you are at yeah. it. And Dirty Pig has such a similar style of play and it's so easy to play it it's just like and i'm someone who tries to avoid saying that about any board game because i feel like when you put a board game down and say don't worry about this lads it's all really really simple you just got your seven it's really easy you've just got your uh seven different uh tracks and markers and you'll all be going up there but you don't roll that morning dice because you don't want to roll the morning dice in the morning you gotta wait until dawn until here's the eight anyway. page reference sheet bgg gives it a yeah. weighting of one Whereas Dirty Pig is, everyone's got pigs in front of them. The first player to get all their pigs dirty wins. You play a card on your go, and then you pick up a card, and that's it. Easy. Your card might be a pig jumping into some muck. If it is, turn over one of your clean pigs and make them dirty. Go on. Your card might be a barn, which you can put your pig inside of. Why a barn's important? Well, there's also a card that's um, rain. And if someone plays a rain card, then every pig around the table, including you, um, gets cleaned, except those pigs 
that were covered by the barn. Um, but a barn can be destroyed by lightning. So if you play a lightning card, you can destroy someone's barn. But you could attach a lightning rod on top of your barn and therefore your barn can now no longer be destroyed by lightning. But who's this? This is the farmer. He's going to walk into the barn and he's going to clean your pig. Uh-oh. But no, I'm going to play the barn door card and that's going to stop the farmer getting in and cleaning my pig. And there you go. I've explained every single card in the game and how the, yeah. <laughs> and how the game plays. Yeah. And that's it. And we played so many games and of this. We played so many games of which Chris Darby won every single one of them except one. Yeah. I, d- I didn't know what was, I was doing. It's incredibly frustrating. But the thing is with a game like Dirty Pig is that there's not really much you can do. I mean... There are some inf- there are some infuriating games where there's literally nothing you can do to stop someone winning. If you've not got the cards to clean pigs and someone just has three or four dirty pig cards in a row and can just do it without and no one's got any cards to to stop them. Some games can be over within 3 or 4 minutes. And that and that sometimes I think can give Dirty Pig a bit of a bad first impression. But there are some games, and most of the games, the majority of the games, just absolutely sing. And when we were there in the Hofbrau house, just throwing back beers, playing game after game after game, like laughing and joking, mm. just, my pig's dirty. No, it's clean. There's a barn. No, there's not. <laughs> Here comes the farmer. Why are you not? Why are you not cleaning Chris's pigs? Because I love that because when you play multiple games that are so quick in succession, you're still bearing the grudge against the, the player, one player from the previous game. Yeah. Even though tactically yeah. I should be cleaning their pigs, no, I'm still embittered by what that person did to me <laughs> in the previous game. So I'm going to give it to them. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it was, I'm so happy that I got it because it, it, it is just. I'm always on the lookout for games to chuck in the bag and just bring out at a pub or something like that. And I and I and I I thought I'd hit sort of the nail on the head with something like Invino Morte. Mm. Um, oh yes. But I think that Drexau is probably the perfect game to take to a pub. Yeah, yeah no, it's a great game. Like, um I also picked up a game in Funtainment, which was Remember. Uh, do you remember? Which every time I mentioned it, Sam would do that, and and we and, all loved it every time he did it. We all, every time we did every it. Every time he did it, it was great. <laughs> and this is this is a cooperative card game, which I recently played with uh, my future parents-in-law last night, oh, who, who don't yes, really play yes, much yes, games yes, at yes. all. How uh, did that go down? It went really well because. They are such interesting people and they've got incredible stories. And what this game actually is, is it's just a storytelling machine. So the way it works is it goes up to five players. So this is from Pegasus Spiel and it's designed by Pauline Jove. And every player around the table has a hand of cards, which are all colours. Each one's a different colour and everyone's got the same deck of cards except a different back, which is kind of their own personal suit. So Pete had one which he called Tummy Worms. 
which is just worms on the back of his. There's plants, you know, there's anything. Yep. Um, and what you've got is a, a deck of cards which have just got a subject on it. And that subject might be school. Uh, it might be victory, which was one that came up yesterday. It might be fashion, for example. And starting with um, one player, that person picks up the card on the top of the deck. They flip it over to see which of the two words they want to choose because there's one on either side, which category. And then they decide the word and everyone secretly picks a colour from their hand, which sparks off a memory that is connected for them, which is connected to that word. And then one at a time, we each go around the table, reveal our colour and explain why it's linked to that particular thing. So, for example, when we did, I think school was one of our categories. Uh, I remember Pete played a colour and he flipped it over and explained it was the colour of his school rugby team, I think it was. Yeah. And anyway, so he does that. So once we've done that round, that person who introduced the category takes all of these other players' colours face down into a stack and we repeat until we've done that three times. Although we've all decided collectively, and I agree with this, that house rules, it really should just be done twice. Because what happens yeah. once everyone has had this go, had this a couple of times, and they've got two stacks in front of them with a word category on the top and this pile of face-down colours from everyone else from each other is, they then have to collectively um, take one of the decks, into, uh, present the category again, and try and guess what everyone else's colours were, try and remember what everyone else's colours were. And Do the stories attached to and obviously they they don't need to guess their own. That's for everyone else in the group to try and remember. And it's really Do interesting. You remember? <laughs> um, that's what's really interesting is that it shows you how fickle memory is. Because sometimes you think, well, the yeah. more I talk about my memory and load it with tons of imagery, the more of an impression it's going to make. Mm. Whereas actually sometimes it was often Pete's very short, sharp, conic memories. Yeah, it's the colour of my rugby kit at school, actually would stick with you more. Yeah. And <laughs> it's really interesting. But my favourite bit of this game is where somebody will say something and another player around the table will go, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. You know, that and that happened yeah. to us. Like, I've known you both for like, the best part of 20 years. And to hear you say stuff that I hadn't heard, and, you know, which, you know, there's not much left, to be honest. Well, I didn't think there was much left. We've spoken about most of our lives on this podcast was a lovely thing to hear, yeah, really. Cool. And then what happens is that for every wrong guess, it's a minus point. And the way it works is that you calculate the score at the end of the game. And it just, you know, at the end and the rules, it just has a certain categories if you fit into them. So if you get zero points, wow, you're not just a team, but a single unified mind. You know, if you're like minus 12 or minus 14 plus, well, they just say, please try again. There's still very much room for improvement. So it's your own personal Please, please try, try again. again. I mean, that's... Please try again. I, I, yeah, I I absolutely... I the, the more we played Remember, the more I really, really liked it. I think I think the first half of the game is a little bit... The, 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 I tried describing this game to my wife and she said, mm, yeah, it sounds like one of those ones where it's better to play it than to describe it. Sure. Yeah, it totally and, is. And the first time you play it, the first half kind of feels a little bit like, what are we doing? Like, this doesn't really feel like a game. And then the when the second half kicks in, like, I was just absolutely, this is this is wonderful. I, I We were just, I think, yeah. for me, it wasn't necessarily the, um, the revelatory part of the experience. Wasn't, wasn't, for me, that wasn't what I enjoyed about it. 
what I enjoyed about it was the general, like, as you said, Chris, the infallibility of the of the mind and trying to, in those moments where you were trying to remember what a colour was and who it was and what the specific memory was, mm-hmm. in those moments, just trying to eke out and crank out almost like a flannel through a mangle just like if i can just get a little one more little drop i know i can make the link i know pete's was something like to do the rugby kit but was it red or was it blue and you just and like for myself someone who's got like a a shocking short-term memory and lives in fear of losing memory when as i get older like Mm. like a game like this i i quite like just being able to laugh at like how ridiculous memory is and how it yeah. picks and chooses what you can actually remember and like Agreed. you know we walked away from that having a perfect recall for my gray trousers and pete's red red or blue suit or whatever it was and it was just like I, I, it's just like felt felt brilliant and again it's a game that makes you feel really smart but you're doing something really dumb yeah and definitely <laughs> that was that you know it was good it was i, I really liked it it's a great icebreaker Ah, all in all, it was a wonderful time. Oh, we also played um, uh, another game that we played at the Hofbrauhaus House was Happy Bees. Do you remember Happy Bees? Oh, that was so good. What a beautiful looking that? game. Did I play that? Happy yeah, Bees? you were there when we played Happy Bees because it's three player minimum. Which one was that? There were so many games. Which one was that? So Happy Bees was a game where um, each player, basically you play as competing bees <laughs> of flowers um it's part of this new range by um, helvetic uh which is like their new nature range so they've done quite a few games um uh in this range and all the games are produced ecologically and yes i remember uh, using like recycled paper and materials and there's no plastic involved and they all have like a nature theme and so happy bees is you have different flowers worth different values in the center of the table and every round each player basically commits a certain amount of bees of a certain color and if you've got the most bees in that color you basically get that flower whoever has the most flowers whoever has the not necessarily the most flowers but whoever has the highest value group of flowers at the end of the game um wins and it's it is a very simple i guess like slightly area control a little card game with the twist being the twist being is that well there's two twists if there's ever a tie for the amount of bees that are being put down no one gets the flower which brings a little bit of added sort of meta spice to the game where you're always trying to get one over of your fellow players knowing that they might be going for some higher numbers so do you want to stop them or how do you outbid them and the other thing the other little added spice to happy bees which i think makes it a game that's definitely worth a bit more exploring is that at the end of each round you pass your cards to the next player so what the game is essentially trying to get you to do is to have some sort of 
knowledge of the cards being passed around, which I don't think we got. But but what I think is interesting, Sam, is that you 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 don't pass the cards that you've played. You only no. pass the cards that are left in your hand. So there, there's this has to be when you're playing cards, you're thinking, well, I'm playing something now. Am I playing it because I want that card? Or am I playing it because I don't want to pass it to Sam mm. at yes. the end of this round? And again, when you're bidding to get those flowers in the middle, you should, the game, I think, expects you a little bit to have some sort of knowledge about what um, cards your other opponents have access to. That kind of works in the early rounds where you're only putting down one, two or three three cards and the later rounds where you're putting down a few more cards for flowers it gets a little bit a bit too much to actually hold in your head mm. but what i quite like is sometimes what i quite like is games that have that as an ambition because yeah. the feeling of the feeling of losing that is sometimes really enjoyable like feeling like right i was on top of this and now i've completely lost it's a bit like when you play like um wandering towers yeah when you play like yeah and you feel like, right, I had this for a second and now I've blinked and I've absolutely lost <laughs> where I was. Um but yeah, Happy Peas was Happy Bees was um a lovely little mm. distraction that we played in the Half Brown House. Um so in between my two Holly Walls, mm. so our trips from Munich <laughs> mm. and my current holiday in Portugal, um I got to experience uh, the summer trend, which is called Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer, <laughs> Barbenheimer. Uh, I did that in the space of a couple of days. And the one I really want to talk about the most, I suppose, is Barbie, but not with a view to kind of spoil it, but really just to talk about the fact that, yes, it is hyped, massively so, but that that hype, I would say, is well you know well justified i would say okay. really um i just want to talk about my face throughout the film really um the fact that i started to grin and did not stop grinning throughout uh this is the closest i've ever come to what i like to call schadenfreude the movie huh. where i'm no i'm not taking pleasure from the um the disgruntlement of the people in the film I'm taking pleasure from all the toxic male audience members getting on their hobby horse about this film and the fact that it has done so well. Um, Helen O'Hara critically mm. put it beautifully in saying that what this film does, it gives you the great pleasure in knowing that it's irritating the right people. Okay. And you can't switch off from that feeling when you're watching it, really. So uh, I, I love boiling piss as much as the next person. Love it. What is the if we're going to talk about that? What what is the thing that they were getting so antsy about? Um, I think it's well, I mean, yeah. For some, it's just the fact they kept. If for some people, it's just the fact they keep mentioning the word patriarchy throughout. Um, I think this is <laughs> mm-hmm. this is this out of all the films I've ever seen in my entire life, this is the one that uses patriarchy the most. Huh. Um, and which I think is really interesting to see. You know, in a Hollywood blockbuster, to see the utilization. Of that particular word, oh. um, it's really really interesting. Um, but I'm I'm bearing the lead here. So this is Barbie, um, Greta Gerwig's billion dollar film, as we can say, of time of recording, starring Margot Robbie. So I'll tell you how this film begins. And it's not a spoiler because it's in the teaser trailer. 
It begins with a landscape very similar to, and it is a homage to or a pastiche of um, what your, one of your favourite films, Pete. It's based in 2001 Odyssey. Lovely. And it's, it's narrated by Helen Mirren. It says, you know, from time immemorial, girls have played with dolls. And you've just got, in this desert landscape, little girls, you know, pigtails and everything, playing with dolls. Okay. Uh, and then it says, until, you know, Barbie came along and they look up and it is that thus spake Zarathustra music. Yeah. And you look up <laughs> and this is tall, like monolithic figure of Margot Robbie as Barbie. Yeah. And instantaneously, the kids, you know, with the crescendo of the music, the kids are smashing their dolls because <laughs> they, all they want is Barbie now. <laughs> and so this isn't a typical, when you think of Barbie the movie, you imagine it's just going to be, you know, there have been lots of made for TV Barbie movies. Okay. Um, you're thinking, you know, something in that world. So the premise of the film is this, where you have a world which is essentially um, all of the kind of Barbie paraphernalia, but in life size. Oh, cool. So Barbie's dream house has actually been built. You know, there's no bathroom in it. There's no stairs. So every time Barbie wakes up, they just float to the ground because there's no stairs to take them Amazing. down. And it's in Barbie world. And Barbie world is, I suppose it's a bit like nowhere. It's just this kind of fictional kind of landmass that we sh- that, that we that's in our universe. Okay. And there's all these different types of Barbies. Um, there's a Barbie that's got a Nobel Prize. There's a Barbie president. And it is a matriarchy. It's a full utopian kind of matriarchy. Okay. And all Barbies from all different kind of walks of life. And Margot Robbie plays stereotypical Barbie. That's their name, stereotypical Barbie. So when you think of a Barbie in your head, kind of blonde hair, yeah, um, that's the character that Margot Robbie's playing. Okay. And to start off with, it is extremely kind of sugary sweet. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, is it going to be like this throughout the entire film? Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. And again, you've got all these Kens because there were lots of different Kens. And Ryan Gosling plays a kind of stereotypical Ken whose job, I understand, is just beach. That's their job. They're not a lifeguard. Their job is just beach. And there's a bit of a rivalry between two of the Kens. That's great. Ryan Gosling and Shima Lu. And, you know, for Barbie's affections. And it's hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. And they're all just singing about how amazing it is. It's so happy here. And then this, this incredible musical number, very lavish. And then... Barbie just goes, Do any of you ever have any of you ever thought about death? And then the music just cuts out. <laughs> Everyone just stops and freezes and looks at her. And she just says, Sorry, never mind, just carry on. But what you're seeing is Margot Robbie playing the doll who's having an existential crisis. Okay. And what's weird is this isn't like the toys in Toy Story, you know, who had that kind of crisis. These were toys that came to life, but they were toys that came to life in the real world. This is a separate world where it's been filmed in this wonderful way by Greta Gerwig, where it looks at part like it's a miniature that you're getting in with a camera. Oh, cool. Um, and there's a lot of practical effects in there, very minimal kind of CGI. And Barbie, for want of a better word, Barbie realises that some somewhere in the real world, a little girl is not happy hmm. because she's taking on the emotions as a little girl because when little girls, or not little girls, not necessarily little girls, but when children play with Barbie... Yep although they do emphasise girls in this context here, um, they what they're imagining inflects upon the Barbie that's in Barbie world. And Barbie, stereotypical Barbie, cannot understand this because they were assured by Mattel that, um, that the world out there is just as heavenly as it is here. 
You know, it's a matriarchy. Everyone is kind and loving to each other. So she cannot understand why she's having this existential crisis. So she goes on this pilgrimage to the real world to find Mattel and to find what's this little girl and to understand what's happening. Hmm. And, you know, it's not really a spoiler. It's in the trailer. Her and Ryan Gosling's Ken go to the real world and they can't quite understand what's happened here. Hmm. And then... What's there's a lovely kind of subplot to this, which I won't go into too much detail. But Ryan Gosling's Ken, who feels a little bit maligned in Barbie World, he discovers patriarchy, and he's like, "Oh my word, wow!" So men can just do what they want here. Oh my word! So it becomes a really interesting, interesting. film in that regard. And I don't really want to say anything else, except that I haven't. I I, I was smiling throughout. And some of the lines in it genuinely made me laugh out loud. Um, the, the rules of this universe they've created is just fantastic. It has probably got one of the most incredible musical numbers I've seen in a while. And I don't really watch musicals, mm. um, but there's a track on it called I'm Just Ken. And it is absolutely hilarious. Um, that Sung by Ryan Gosling with the other Kens in the background. And I think it's, I think it's just a really interesting film. Mm. If you, if you're you know someone who defines himself happily as a feminist, it's not anything that's particularly um, challenging in terms of like um, some of the ideas it's raising. But to just see these ideas being raised in a in a Hollywood blockbuster, and to see that it's done so well worldwide, mm. gives me hope. Um, me well, it yeah. generally, you know, my favourite film of the year so far was probably the Dungeons and Dragons movie, um, which also made me laugh throughout, and mm-hmm. it was quite poignant in places. Uh, Barbie has been my film of the year, genuinely. Uh, it, it gave it gave me feelings I'd not experienced in a film before, and just that sense of giddiness and walking out and just letting out a sigh of relief that actually maybe things can be okay. Maybe maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm being being hyperbolic here perhaps too much really but um i genuinely enjoyed this film um i don't want to be that guy just talking briefly about barb and oh yeah but you you know on the you know you know on the uh uh a podcast a while ago that is it annoying when you got people who are just like oh um yeah i've just seen oppenheimer Oh, what did you? Uh, where do you see it? I just saw it at a regular cinema. Well, then you've not yeah, really, not really seen, seen it, have you? Have unless it. you've seen it on a uh, two thousand foot square. Ah, oh, watching movies well, on your uh, phone isn't <laughs> the same because I've got too much time on my hands. Yeah, go on. I I have to say that after seeing oh. it at IMAX, I do <laughs> I do not know how you could you can walk away from seeing that film at a quote-unquote normal cinema and feel like you've had the same experience. You like you I haven't. You've paid way less. It was the first film, Pete, that Sam went to the toilet midway through. You you went to the bathroom. Is that good? Is that bad? Well, I, it's out of character. That's what it is. It's long. It's long. I made it all the way through Endgame. So, four stars. Well, listener, if you'd like to tell us ways in which we're consuming media incorrectly, uh, email stayinginpod at gmail.com. Uh, you know, for example, 
should we only be watching uh, Beverly Hills Cop whilst underground? Uh, is that something that we should be we we should be doing? Is that the only way to watch Beverly Hills Cop? Or you know, oh, or really site specific stuff? Yeah, exactly. Oh, have you really played God of War three? Unless you've done it upside down on a trampoline, you know. With your top off. With your top off shouting, Kratos is my dad! Uh, let us know, stayinginpod at gmail.com. <laughs> um, you could do that as well on Twitter slash X, whatever it's called this today. Oh, oh we might, maybe don't bother with that one. Um, Instagram's nice though, so come over there. Yeah. Uh, it's still owned by a maniac, but... Uh, There's some pictures, nice pictures of it. us in Munich on Instagram. Yep. Yeah. So if you want to get a slice of what that was like... Yep. Them. so uh that's cool uh bgg i've been updating all of those uh so all the board games what we have ever talked about is on bgg uh on the staying in podcast like page on bgg you can find all of this stuff including our steam curator page on stayinginpodcast.com um, we'll have links out to all of that sort of stuff and we're also thinking about adding one or two other bits and pieces with social, uh, yeah. with some other services yeah. as well. And if we do those, we'll we'll, we'll let you know next time. Um, I'm going to add um, I'm Just Ken to the Spotify playlist. I'm also going to add a 100 uplifting songs, which uh, Sam and I saw the pilot of our plane oh. to Munich listening to, um, which are some well, absolute belters. It, it wasn't the pilot of our plane. It was a pilot on who happened plane. to be on your plane. Now, yeah. also, the context here is important. Didn't they have, like, their head in their hands? And, like, head in their hands, headphones yes. in. That's got to be that's got to be unnerving, isn't it, really, on a plane? <laughs> I just think the title of that playlist is just... The hundred most uplifting songs. It's incredible. It's like we're we're flying by faith alone, guys. Well, I mean, like like you know, it also feels like one of those like classic drama prompts or writing prompts. Like you know, where it says like you know, uh, ballet shoes hardly used. It feels like one of those where it's like <laughs> you know, a writing prompt for like a story. What what what's what's this pilot been going through? Why do they need to listen to uh, you know Stevie yeah, Wonder? Give you up. Uh, <laughs> Do you remember? remember? All that good stuff. Anything else? Uh, no. Good. All right. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>